Okay. Hey, good morning. I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor. And before we dive in, direct your eyes to the screens. Ben Parks, one of our worship leaders, our beloved Ben, who was here just a minute ago, just released the first song from his soon-to-be-released album. It's called Bless the Lord, and you need to go, right now it's only available on YouTube. Okay, so if you go to YouTube and in the search bar type in Ben Parks Music, it will show up. It should be the first thing that shows up, but I don't know how the algorithms and stuff work. It doesn't always work the same for everybody. But go there, check it out. Um, the song is amazing, and I think we're actually going to sing it next week, so you can listen to it before we sing it next week. Um, so way to go, Ben. Where'd he go? See in the back? I don't know. But if you see Ben, you can say, hey, way to go. Congratulations. This song is great. It's really, really good. So I'm excited about the rest of the album, too. So, all right, that's it. And close. Let's transition to God's Word. Because <laughs> we are in a series called God is God, and we're being introduced to who God is and what God is like, what he did at the very beginning of history. And today we're going to have an experience that you may have had in other places. Um, sometimes things are very simple on the surface, right? But then when you slow down and you take another look, you look more closely, what is simple becomes profound, becomes deep, it becomes even more meaningful, and you think, whoa, I had no idea when I first encountered this that it was going to go this deep. And so we're going to read a passage from the beginning of the Bible today, and we're going to see that it describes something. Like, it's going to take two minutes, and you'll be like, oh, I get it. These verses, I, I understand them. I see how they fit. Let's move on. I'm going to say, wait, wait, hold on. No, no, no. You're going to find out from our time together looking at this passage that this passage describes something that is so deep and so profound about the nature of our experience as human beings. Uh, it's going to blow you away. And we're not going to possibly be able to get to the bottom of it. But today we're just going to start digging. Okay? And we'll see how deep we can go. So we're going to start by reading Genesis 2-4. It's in your bulletin. It's also going to be on the screen. It's in the bulletin, there's a place to take notes. There's some things you're going to want to write down today. So keep your bulletin handy. And so let's start with Genesis 2, verse 4. It says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that... Yahweh God made the earth and the heavens. So if you were here last week, you heard me talk about how the Lord is actually the Hebrew word Yahweh, and that's what I'm going to say from now on. So these are the generations of the heavens and the earth, right? So the image here is that heaven and earth got married. Heaven and earth were designed by God to go together, and here's what they generated from their union, okay? Verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. What we see here is a twofold lack. So there's two things that aren't there. There's no bushes and no small plants. So bush of the field, this is the wild vegetation that grows on the mountainsides whenever it rains. Right? So it rains in San Diego and all of a sudden everything's green. You're like, oh, where'd that come from? Bush of the field. There you go. The small plant of the field, these are the cultivated plants that we use for food. Okay, so two different kinds of plants, and they're both missing. They're both, there's this twofold lack. Verse 5 goes on. It says, for Yahweh God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. So we start with a twofold lack. Now we have a twofold reason for the twofold lack. There's no rain. And there's no man to work the ground. So that's the twofold reason. 
So what do you expect next? Right, we got a twofold lack, we got a twofold reason, you expect a twofold solution, right? And that's exactly what we get in verses six and seven. So verse six, it says, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. This is the solution to no rain. Uh, the word mist is actually, can be translated rain cloud, and it's translated as rain cloud in other parts of the Bible. And so God made it rain. He made the clouds, he made it rain, and so there you go. You have a, a solution to the fact that there's no rain. And then in verse 7, it says, Then Yahweh God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And so here we have the solution to the other part of the problem. The solution to no one to work the ground, God made a man. So you have a twofold lack, a twofold reason, and a twofold solution. Genesis 1 teaches us that God made everything miraculously from nothing by speaking it into existence. And then Genesis 2 teaches us that God made the wild vegetation, bushes, and the cultivated plants only after he made the means to sustain them. So the means to sustain the bushes and the plants were rain and a cultivator. So pretty simple and straightforward. We're done. That's it. That's all I got. But wait, hold on. There's something more happening here. I want to zoom in on verse 7 for the rest of the time that we have together. I think this verse is so important. And I think that this verse is so deep and so profound in what it's saying about the nature of human existence and about the nature of God's relationship to us that we have to slow down. We have to see and we have to like experience what it says. And so let's read it again, verse 7. It says, then the Lord God, Yahweh God, formed the man from formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. So again, on the surface, God is just solving the problem of providing food. Okay? The green plants are given as food for creation. That's taught in Genesis chapter 1. And so here's God making the one who can cultivate and care for those things so that the world can be fed. But look at how God creates human beings. God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And this is how man became a living creature. So what we see is that it's God's own life that brought humanity to life. Okay, in Genesis 1, it says that, God, that man is made in God's image. Male and female, he made them. And here in Genesis 2, we learn more of what this means. That God invested his own life into human beings. God, I mean, the image here, he, he put his own breath. He put his own breath into people. And so we have the life of God in us. This is like the first act of mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation, but it's not resuscitation, it's suscitation. <laughs> right? It's the initial impartation of life, and the source of life for us is literally the breath of God. It's his own life coming into us to make us alive. 
And so many people say that God is the author of life, and now we see here that God is the source of human life. And I think this is very, very deep. But it gets deeper. Because remember verse 4 says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. Right? Heaven and earth, they're designed by God to come together. And then we get to see what they generated. Um, And so there's a couple things I want you to write down. This is one of them. We could say it like this. We could say, God breathes into us to join heaven to earth. Okay? This act of God breathing into us is God taking heaven and bringing it to earth. Because it's God's life. God who is in heaven is filling the earth with his life. And it comes into us. It comes into us. Like the, the, the place. I mean, this gets really big, really important, really profound. This touches everything. Human beings are made to be the place where heaven and earth come together. Human beings were designed by God to be the place where heaven and earth overlap. So in the union between heaven and earth, we see that this is one of the most profound ways that God does this. By taking his life, God lives in heaven, he's reigning in heaven, and yet he puts his life into us, into you, into you. The reason that you are a living being, the reason that you have a soul and the intellect and all that is wrapped up in being made in the image of God is because God gave you his life. And so God breathes into us to join heaven to earth, and what this means is that God breathes into us to join himself to us. He joins himself to us. That again, we are the joining of heaven and earth. And I I don't think it's, well, let's see here. It's not accidental that Verse 7 says the, that Yahweh God, the Lord God, formed the man and breathed into his nostrils. Yahweh God, that we saw last week, means the covenant-making God, the God of the covenant, the God who makes promises to people and keeps them. Right? He's the one who breathed in. And so God breathed into us. This is relationship here. God is making us in a way and wiring us in a way so that we could have a relationship with him. And so, even though God is separate from us, even though heaven is separated from earth, God continually, in so many different ways that we have seen from chapter one and the first seven verses of chapter two now, in all these ways, God continually reaches across the separation. He reaches across to us so that we would know him, so that we would walk with him, so that we'd have a relationship with him. Even though he is separate even though he's not like 
I mean, he's here, but he's not here in the same way that like Jesus was here on earth for a while. Now he's up in heaven, right? He's sort of in that, like, but his presence is here, but he's, he's reaching across. He wants heaven and earth to interpenetrate each other, right? And so he gives us his life. And so our life comes from God. We are designed to have his life inside of us. Um, God wants us to be so close to him that his very life is inside of us. And so that's what God's doing in this verse. God is making us in ways that are wired, like hardwired to know him. I mean, this is why religions are all over every culture on the entire face of the globe. It's because we're made to know God. We're made for a relationship with him. Um, We can't exist without, what, three second reminders that all that we are comes directly from the God who made us. And so God is telling us this story in this way so that we would know that he's separated but not far from us. And the question for us then is how do we connect to this God? God is reaching across. God is reaching across. God is reaching across, right? We've seen that in Genesis 1. Now in Genesis 2, how do we then reach back? Or how do we receive his reaching across? How can we have a relationship with him? If we have a relationship with him, how can we deepen our relationship with him? I think that as we reflect on how deep and how profound this passage is, it gives us something very, very simple that we can do to have a relationship with God. And that is to breathe. We can breathe. If you want to know God, breathe. When we breathe, this passage, God's own revelation of himself, teaches us to use our breath to remember that we have, it's not just oxygen coming in and out, but it's God's own life coming in and out of us. And I guess I want to make it clear, I don't think that verse 7 is teaching us, the, 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 the verse seven is not saying, thou shalt breathe in order to have a relationship with God, okay? This is not one of the 10 commandments, right? You know, where it says, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, honor the Lord, right? I mean, this isn't like a command to breathe, right? That's not what this verse is doing. This verse is telling us how God made us. And as we understand how God made us, it transforms how we can think about breathing. Do you understand the difference? This doesn't say thou shalt breathe, so what I'm saying isn't, you know, this direct command coming from this verse, but I don't see how you can understand the depth of this verse without realizing that breathing for you could be so much different than it is right now. Now, some Christians freak out when anybody starts talking about breathing because, hold on, like, 
don't like non-Christian folks do breathing things? Like atheists, like breathe. You know, I listen to Sam Harris, and, uh, and Sam Harris is an atheist, and he has this whole meditative process that includes breathing. And so, like, Stephen, what are you doing? Like, are you selling out? Are you saying that Christianity is the exact same as all these other religions that do breathing? Or it's even like the atheists, because really it's just, it's a bunch of religious exercises, but there's no real personal God behind it, because if the atheists can do it and then we do it, like, what are we going to do with this? Right? You, um, a lot of Christians freak out about stuff like this. And, and the best of the ones that freak out are freaking out because for them, Jesus is special and Jesus is different from all the other religions. And we should honor that desire to keep Jesus special. 100%, Jesus is special, Jesus is different. The God of the Bible has revealed himself in Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, then you don't know the God of the Bible. So I would like to reverse the concern though. I'd like to turn that concern upside down. I would say this, that all breathing, Christian and non-Christian, is powerful and effective precisely because whether you believe in God or Jesus or not, it connects you back to this reality in Genesis 2-7. This primal moment when life started, started with a breath. And what's amazing is that you don't have to be connected to Jesus to derive benefit from slowing down and breathing. But I do believe that every other worldview that's not Christian, that uses breathing, has to borrow from the Christian worldview. Has to kind of steal a little bit of Christianity, a little bit of Bible in, um, whether they're conscious about that or not. All breathing, Christian and non-Christian, comes from this reality. The reason that breathing is powerful is because it connects us back to that moment when the human race began. God breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. And breathing is powerful because it has the power to connect us at the most primal level to our creator. And so I would say this. I would say that we breathe to join earth to heaven. We breathe to join earth to heaven. And so again, there are aspects of breathing that are really important for us to know and understand that we share with folks that aren't Christian. Um, the more overlap, I think, the better. Because then you can connect to other people. You can have similar experiences. You can talk about your experiences. And so the physical act of breathing, it can calm us. Breathing can help us release, release stress. It makes us slow down. Sometimes breathing is just, again, slowing down and just breathing, like not doing anything else but just breathing. It reminds us that in the midst of all the chaos of life, we're still alive. Um, very often, people that struggle with anxiety, when anxiety hits, there's often a failure to breathe. You get shortness of breath and you begin to panic and that whole, it takes over. And so, take a deep breath. Something happens. Something happens to us. I mean, we need, we can live off of normal breathing, but there's just, there's something about taking a deep breath that's a little bit different. Something powerful happens. Um, again, breathing can calm you in the midst of chaos, 
when you breathe, there's something about life that gets simplified. It's like we stop and we think about what's really most important in the moment. And what's most important is that, you know what, we're alive. We're alive. And actually, that's more important than whatever chaos is going on around us. Um, I'm amazed, like thinking too about the overlap between like Christian breathing and non-Christian breathing. I'm amazed that God has filled the entire atmosphere of our planet with life-giving air. Um, it's everywhere. I mean, and, and, and there's so much of it, right? There's so much oxygen to go around. Like if everybody were to take deep breaths, we would be able to take in all the oxygen that we need and there's still so much more for us to take another deep breath. Um, what's amazing to me, and this, again, I think this helps reshape our understanding of the character of God, is that you can get air without getting God. Like, I talked to God about that this week. I was like, God, you let people get air without getting you. And then I was reminded of Matthew 5, where Jesus says, you know, you've heard it said, you should love your neighbors and hate your enemies, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you can be like your Father in heaven. That God in heaven give, lets the sun shine on everybody. He gives rain to those who are just and those who are unjust. That there is a measure of blessing that is common to everyone, whether or not you honor God with your life or not. And it's just because God is love. It's because God cares. It's because God wants to fill our lives with so much of his blessing. And his design, his design for that kind of blessing is that we would receive these blessings and we would turn the direction of our lives to follow him. Uh, the Bible says that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's realizing how kind and loving and, and gracious God is to us. Um, even at times when we weren't following him, that cause us to think, wow, God, you really are loving. You are safe to come to in repentance. And so I think it's amazing that God has given the world so much of his gifts that they can take and use and enjoy even if they don't want him. Like, that's amazing. Um, I want to be like that, <laughs> but it's hard. So again, I think there's something primal about breathing, and I think it's because it returns us to this verse, this moment in Genesis 2, verse 7, that life entered into us when God breathed, and now for us, we can remember that when we breathe. And so if you've had good experiences with breathing that have been apart from Jesus, like fantastic. Um, I want to encourage you to add something else to your breathing. And that's this, that when you breathe, you are filling yourselves with God's presence. And so, because for Christians, breathing can mean so much more. Um, so I'd write this down, that we breathe to join ourselves to God, right? So God breathed into us to join himself to us. We can breathe to join ourselves to God. 
Now, the best stuff that I've read on this is from a friend of mine. His name is Pat Rolleston. Um, he is an elder in the church. I met him in Atlanta at a denominational meeting for our, pre- for our denomination, and, uh, and I don't remember where he is. We had such a profound conversation. We've stayed in touch, um, and he has found breathing to be at the core of what is most meaningful for him as a Christian. Um, he's worked through trauma and brokenness uh, to rebuild and reorient his life around the power of God through Jesus. And I want to read to you something that he sent to me. And this is very deep. It's very profound. It's not going to be on the screen. It's just going to have to listen. Um, some of this stuff you're going to be like, oh, that's cool. That makes sense. And some of this is going to be like, whoa, wait, hold on. That was deeper than I think I could wrap my mind around. So, but you know, it's good for us. It's good for us to stretch. So here's what he said. He said, breathing is about being. To say it another way, to grow or to work toward an integrated spiritual formation, we tend to focus as Christians on the thinking and on the doing, and we neglect simply being. And breathing gets at being. When we only focus on thinking and doing, and we neglect being, it leads to fragmentation and compartmentalizations in our lives. Uh, he said our brains are not only academic and intellectual, they are also spiritual and physical. Our brains physically hold memory and emotion. And I'd never thought about that before, that our brains, like the physical part of our brain holds our emotions and our memories. They're in there somewhere. Says our brains also hardwire us with lasting neural connections. You can't pursue an integrated or a holistic Christian formation without your brain and its physicality. And breathing is one way to get at the physical reality of our brains. And so he's saying here that so much of Christianity, so much of our discussions about how to grow and how to become more like Jesus, involve like changing how we think and changing what we do, right? And those are great, but they're not always sufficient. Um, sometimes we have to add, like considering the physical changes that our brains go through as we react to things. We have these habits, these patterns, the addictions that we feel. There's a physical component to the addictions that we have. There is a physical wiring that goes on in the neural networks of our brains. There are these super highways that we create. When you repeat an action over and over again, you create a rut, and it becomes easier and easier and easier to go down that rut to react the way that you react. Um, and this can be good or bad. It's not always bad. Like some of our reactions and some of our, our, uh, our habits can be good and God-honoring. Um, but very often, one of the reasons why we feel stuck is because we can't, like, we literally can't get out of the rut because there's this rut in our brain. And so he says, going back to his quote, all that our brains hold includes our unconscious patterns and our reactions. These things spring out of the way our brains have been formed through our life experiences. 
And when, he, when, it, when I read that, I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, you remember the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality series we did earlier this year? Remember the Knights of the Round Table? You got all these knights, you got your emotions, you got your intellect, you got your family of origin, you've got your, right, you have all these elements that make up why you react and why you make decisions and why you think the way that you do. He's saying that, that our, our unconscious patterns and our reactions spring out of the way our brains have been formed through our life experiences. And he says this, and this is where he comes to breathing. He says, breathing helps us interrupt those patterns and those reactions as we seek the Holy Spirit's transformational work. So what does he mean here? He's saying that the act of breathing, when you slow down, when you quiet yourself, when you you actually give your, yourself the opportunity to slow the process of your reactions down. You can become intentional about the way that you react and you can begin to dissect it. Um, there is an anatomy, there's a process that you go through when you get triggered and breathing can help you slow down enough to look at that process and ask the Holy Spirit, ask the presence of God in you to shape and to reshape and to change things. So it's almost like, um, gosh, like I, I'm thinking about Google Maps in my brain. You know, if, if, uh, if I ask for directions from, L, you know, from San Diego to Sacramento, for instance, like it'll show me and on the screen, on you know, my phone, it'll be like this long, like that'll be the line, right? And it's like, wow, like, I can do this. I just crossed 550 miles, you know, just by in like half a second with my finger going like that. Um, but obviously with Google Maps, the joy is you can zoom in. You can zoom in. You can go, oh, okay, it's this turn and then it's that turn and then it's this turn and then it's that turn. Then I got to take this freeway and then I get on this freeway, you know, and, and so you can zoom in and the more you zoom in, the more intentional that you can become. And the act of breathing can be that slow down process where we're very often our prayers are like, God, don't make me that way. God, help me not to do this again, right? And those things sometimes are too simplistic for God's spirit to really get in and transform us at the deep level that we need to be transformed. And so breathing, breathing is a way for us to interrupt the knee-jerk patterns that just fire they just fire. They're in our subconscious. Um, and we ask the spirit to come in and to transform our hearts and our minds in the process. My friend Pat said, Romans 12.1 says, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And he said, breathing is part of presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. It's part of being renewed in the spirit of our mind. Breathing helps us to interrupt our set patterns and surrender to the spirit and invite his control. And so breathing, it brings mind renewal to another level. It helps us to rewire our brains by allowing the spirit to do deeper spiritual work that even affects the physicality of our brains. It's not just what we think, but brain-wise, it changes what we are up here. 
And so I think that the physical act of breathing can produce an explicitly Christian impact on us when we bring the gospel into our breathing. Um, Because when we breathe, we're reminded that we are filled with God's spirit and we have rest in the gospel. And so how do we do this, right? Some of you already are off to the races. You're thinking about ways to do this. Some of you are like, okay, this sounds kind of cool. I'm still a little confused. And who's that guy anyways? And whatever, like, how do we do this? So I'm going to give you two ways that you can do this, that you can put this into practice, okay? Um, There's an act of breathing in. There's a act of breathing out. And so the first way is to turn the act of breathing in into a reminder of a spiritual reality, Okay, and then to breathe out is a reminder of another spiritual reality. And so, so here's what I want you to do. You can write this down. When you breathe in, I want you to say as you breathe in, God, more of you. And when you breathe out, say, no more sin. So you breathe in, God, more of you. And you breathe out, no more sin. And just breathe. Like just, you breathe in, you breathe out. You breathe in and you breathe out. God, more of you. God, I want more of you. God, in the beginning when you made my first ancestor, you breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. God, I want more of your life in me. And then God, I want to let go of anything in me that's broken. God, I want to let go of it. I want to repent of it. I want to apologize for it. God, I want to confess it as sin. I want to be done with it. And so in with you, like out with my sin. Um, There's a really poignant phrase in Luke chapter 18 that you can use. And there have been people that have used this uh, phrase in their own um, prayers where it's a parable of Jesus where uh, he said, he talks about the, the Pharisee and then the tax collector. The Pharisee's super arrogant and has no place in God's sight. But the, the, the tax collector is this really awful guy. And when he goes into the temple, it says that he can't even look up into heaven. And he says this. He just says, all he can say is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And so you could use that phrase as you breathe in and you breathe out. Like, God, more of you, be merciful to me, a sinner. Like, I'm a sinner, God. I confess that I'm not what you want me to be. I haven't been what you wanted me to be. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful to me, a sinner. And just breathe that way. Um, Depending on how you're wired, you may have ideas come into your mind as you're doing this, as you're breathing. Um, God, more of you. If there's something about God that you want more of, you can breathe that in. God, more of your love. God, I want more of your love. I want to love people the way that you do. More of your love, God. Or God, I need more of your love. I feel condemned by you, God. I need more of your love. God, more of your patience. Boy, it's really easy for me to snap. It's really easy for me to get frustrated. It's really easy. God, I need more of your patience, right? And as you're breathing out, God, no more sin. There might be specific sins that you want to get rid of. Like highlight those, name those, and breathe them out right? So just in and out. And you can let yourself, like you can, you can let yourself, you can open yourself up to God, like 
what do you want me to breathe in? What do you want me to breathe out? Make sense? So um, there's another way that I want to share with you that's it's related, it's really similar, but it's a little bit different with the breathing out. Um, and so I'll give you this other way. Um, when you breathe in, you're saying, God, more of you in me. So add a couple words there on the end. God, more of you in me. Um, and then when you breathe out, God, more of you through me. Okay, here at our church, when we talk about the gospel, we talk about the gospel as Jesus' work for us, where he does things that we can't do. And then there's work he does in us, where he changes us from the inside out. And then his work through us, where he transforms the way we interact with other people. Right? We become more like him and we treat other people the way that he treats us. Right? So Christ's work in us and through us can be something that you rehearse as you breathe. So it's, God, more of you in me, and then, God, more of you through me into others. And so in this way, it's like, God, I don't want to just take you in, but I also want to spill you out. Like, I want my cup to be so full to overflowing that the people around me would feel what you're putting into me. Right? So, God, more of you in me, and then more of you through me to others. And with this, again, you can take this in any direction that God's spirit leads you in the moment. As you begin to breathe this way, um, when I do this, I like, to have something, I like to have something to write with because ideas come to me. Sometimes it's things that I want to get, like aspects of who God is that I want to get more of. Sometimes it's areas of life that I want to work on. And, um, and so I'll write things down as I am breathing and praying through these things. Um, and so, and so you can take this in any way that, um, that helps you know God better. Um, we were talking about this in staff meeting this week and Madison said that when she does yoga, when she goes to yoga classes, she often just chooses a meaningful Bible verse. Like maybe it's Lord be merciful to me, a sinner, but it could be just anything. Um, and then she just repeats that through the breathing and the moving. And so any verse that you feel close to God with or any verse that you want to work on or you want to get more of it into you and, and more of it to come out of you or through you, um, you can do that. But in this way of breathing, breathing just becomes this, it's a focused way to meditate on God's word. It's a focused way to meditate on the personhood of God and the relationship that you have with him where you're rehearsing his word, you're understanding it better, you're contemplating how it might apply to your life. Um, and so, and, and so I've been doing this. I have a coach that's been challenging me to do this. And at first I was like, ah, breathing, schmeathing. You know, I like to read the Bible and just understand it, you know. And, um, and then I got this from Pat. I was like, I think there might be something here I'm missing, you know. And so he was like, look, just breathe for five minutes. I'm like, all right, fine, I can do that. So I set the timer, you know, and I'm just going to breathe. And, and, and my coach said this too. He's like, when I breathe, he said, I just try to get one good inhale and one good exhale. And like in 30 minutes, if I can get one good inhale, one good exhale, then I've, I feel like I've, I've, I've been successful. And I'm like, that just seems weird because like, you know, in two minutes, I can do a good inhale and a good exhale, and, which, you know, I'm sure is really just an indication that I have no idea the depth that he's living at. And so I'm still, still growing and trying here. But, um, but I started doing it, and like I, he's like, look, I just do it for 30 minutes, and so I set the timer for 30 minutes, and, uh, and I just started breathing, and God, more of you in me, uh, no more sin. God, more of you in me, and more of you through me. And then God began to bring people 
into my mind. Like, oh God, like help me to love this person. Um, God, I have not been very understanding with this person. You know, so, and then sometimes just ideas. Like I, I had this, this profound experience where I started breathing and I thought, God, I've been trying to get more of you in me for almost 30 years. You know, and I've been doing that by reading the Bible, by studying, by reading books about the Bible, by talking to people, by te- Like I've been doing this for so long. And the thought hit me. What if there are aspects of who you are that I've been totally blind to? And then when I thought that immediately, <laughs> something came to mind. And so I wrote it down and I was like, oh man, wait, that's something that you really honor. That's something that really is part of your heart. Um, and I don't honor it. I don't think it's important. Um, and that, and I began to, as I'm breathing, I began to realize, like, oh, this, this kind of misshapes my character. Um, and most people don't ever see this part of me because the aspect of you that I image is a teaching one, it's a pastoral one, and when people are with me, you know, like, they get that, and it's, it's great, you know, I do, a, I do a good job of imaging you in this, and so I see this part of you, and I'm able to image that. But there are these other parts of you, God, that are really important for my family. You know, they're really important for my wife. And they don't sometimes get what they need because I'm trying to give, you know, and I mean, it gets all into details and stuff. But like, I just had this profound experience because I'm breathing. And I'm just trying to take more of God in, right? And more of him in me and then more of him through me. And so so I just, I want to encourage you to do this. Um, I want to invite you to do this. I, I, I think this is more than just me saying you should pray more. Um, I, I think what I'm asking you to do is I'm asking you to see that in this verse, our breathing connects us to something that is so deeply part of who you are as a person that I think you'll find an experience of God there that is very real and is very connected to the gospel. So it's, it's not just breathing, but it's breathing with the God of the Bible who has revealed himself in Jesus. And so what I find is that when I pray, very often my thoughts get, like my thoughts go, go, go wild. I can think of like a hundred other things that I should be doing and my to-do list all of a sudden you know, comes into my mind with crystal clarity. It's almost like there's someone that's trying to keep me from praying or something. I don't know. Um, and breathing helps me because when I'm, when I'm breathing, whenever my thoughts run away or whenever I just run out of things to pray about, because that happens a lot too, I just go back to breathe. And I'm like, oh yeah, God, more of you. Less of sin. More of you in me more of you through me. And, and that centering helps me kind of like to start over again. I mean, like there's another thought or another person that God will bring to my mind and I'll begin to think and pray about them. And so I feel like some of the thoughts that come to me that are really wonderful when I breathe are, I'm not the Christ. Like the, this is not up to me. Um, I'm not God. Um, when I breathe, 
I feel like I can rest and then I can recover and then I can enter back into the fray, into the chaos of life. And when there are things that are particularly troubling for me, I feel like what I'm doing when I'm breathing is that I'm, I'm like breathing God into the room with my thoughts. So here I am with my struggles and my problems and my anxieties and the things that freak me out, right? And I start to breathe and God's like now with me and all these things. And so I ask questions like, God, what do you think about this? And I like look at him. Like for me, I like try to look at his face and I like try to read the emotions on his face and the emotions that are on his face are typically connected to what I know about what, who God is and how he thinks about things because um, that's sort of how it works. But I ask him like, God, what do you see? What do you see that I don't see? Like that's really helpful. Um, God, what do you want to show me? about this thing that I'm praying and breathing through. Um, and, I mean, like, God, what else do you want me to think about right now? Like, sometimes I'll ask that if I'm not sure what else, I mean, got another five minutes before the timer goes off. I want to hit my 30 minutes. I can tell my coach I, pray, I breathe for 30 minutes, you know. Um, sometimes it's like that. Other times it's like, oh, man, it's been an hour. So, like, this week I, um, I had... I went on campus at Point Loma, I had lunch with Josh and Berkeley, and then I just went down to the beach, and I sat in the in, like inside a cave on the beach, and I just breathed, and I just, I, you know, all kinds of thoughts, all kinds of journaling, and just processing through things with God and his presence, and then I looked over at my phone, and it was, it had been an hour, and so sometimes that happens, not all the time, sometimes I'm like, I look over, and it's been four minutes, you know, so, um, but I want to encourage you to, to try this out. I want to encourage you to take steps forward into this. And again, I think it's more than just like a new gimmicky way to pray or meditate. I think it's, it's to connect to this reality that we became alive when God breathed into us. And we have an opportunity to use our breathing to commune back with him. And uh, so, so try this this week. Um, Tell someone else that's in your life what happened when you did. If it was good, bad, or ugly, you know, just talk about it with somebody else. And, uh, and then incur if, if they've done it too, you can share back and forth. Um, but God is, God joined himself to us with his breath. And I believe that we can join ourselves to him more deeply with ours. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, uh, these, gosh, these stories in some ways are so simple, in other ways they touch the deepest parts of who we are. Um, thank you for breath. Thank you for breathing. Thank you that every two to four seconds we have an opportunity to commune with you and to remember that it's your life that it's your breath that's in our lungs. And so God, this life that you've given us, we wanna use it for you. We wanna honor you. We wanna praise you with it. And so help us to connect to you with this. Uh, meet us as we breathe, speak to us. 
And, uh, and thank you, God, again, for the, just the reminder that you have given breath to so many who don't know you um, as an invitation to them to step forward into a relationship with you. We pray that those that are here and aren't, that, that aren't in relationship with you yet, that they would receive this, their breath even, this next breath that they breathe as a gift from you and that they would step toward you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.